when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus, do you suppose that he was writing it in, in such a, a fashion in which when they received it, they were like, man, we've got a lot of doctrinal things that we're going to have to get through. You know, when, when I hear of election and chosen and redemption and sealed and all these words, it's like, do you suppose on the receiving end they thought, man, we've got a lot of Bible studying to do? Or do you suppose that when they received this letter, they received it in the very beginnings of what we call Ephesians, and particularly a good part of chapter 1, is an opening letter that Paul is sharing with them of great thanksgiving for what has been accomplished through Christ. Which do you think? <laughs> Unfortunately, as 2,000 years pass by, when we get into Ephesians chapter 1, like other passages, we tend to get so bogged down in the details and the theology that we forget the simplicity of what's being said and overall. And so this morning, I want us to do that. Look at the simplicity of what's being said because... This is a lesson dealing with thanksgiving from our Christian standpoint. Now that said, I don't know about you, but in Hawaii, we never really learned much in the way of history concerning thanksgiving. Go figure. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Um, you know, and of course, all my reading and studying that I can remember would have taken place as a result of my personal interest. And so you can go back to the early days in 1620 and the Mayflower comes over and, and you see, I believe, the, the um, Puritans came over with others who were zealous uh, about what would unfold coming to this country. They meet up with, was it the Wampanoags? I'm not sure how the, the Indian group that they met, but I just remember them getting together and the Indians helped them get through that very first year because naturally half of them died by the time that first year came along. And so as they celebrated all this harvest that one year later came to be known as their new life in this new world, there was great thanksgiving. I think many of us, many of our kids, even with the school plays and all the things that go on over there, I bet many of us don't even get that much today with regard to our history. In fact, our history seems to be being rewritten as we speak. And so we might have forgotten, maybe never even really learned the origin of our national holiday. But I know as Christians, as important as our nation is to us, it is important to me personally. It pales in comparison to the citizenship that, that we have, that I have in the Lord's kingdom. And if it's important for us, I believe, as citizens in this nation, for us to at least remember the origins of where we came from, how we came to, to be Americans, if you will, how much more is it for those of us who have put on Christ? How much more important for us to remember the beginnings of our creation in the Lord? And always on a daily basis give thanks to God. And, and so that's what we're looking at, the beginnings of being in Christ and all that God has done to lavish Every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. And so those are the things that I want us to look at. I want us to go through this again. And very easily, I'm not going to get deep into this this morning. This is not, I don't think this is the, the context in which I want to use Ephesians chapter 1. I want to give it the way Paul meant for his brethren to receive the thanksgiving that they have in Christ Jesus. For all that has been given. 
And I want to use that as, as our lesson this morning and how we live. And so the first thing without going into all, you know, you're going to get into Calvinism or Pelagianism, all these things. We just want to look very simply the fact that he chose us in Christ. He chose us in him. When you look at verse four and see the thanksgiving that we should have to live as holy and blameless lives, it is because of what has been given to us. Look at what it says in verse four again. Backing up to verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It is beyond my personal comprehension. It's like Isaiah 55. We read that often. I know Steve has used that in, in Bible studies and, and stuff that we, when we gather together. His ways are so much higher than our, our ways that I think we prove ourselves too arrogant and high-minded to think that we can understand every facet of our eternal God. I don't think it's possible. I don't think we even get so close but in our finite mind, we are being told in this revelation that he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And for whatever that phrase means, foundation of the world, whether you talk about it from the actual creation of the, of the heavens, or you're talking about society, as Jehovah's Witnesses like to refer to as before the foundation of the world refers to, whatever that means, the bottom line is he chose us a whole long time ago. In him. And naturally, by thanksgiving, we should live a holy life. Because he chose us to be in Christ. And brethren, I cannot think of a better way for us to start off worshiping the Lord than with thanksgiving. That's why I appreciate, Joel, when you lead the songs, that when you explain some of the things within the song and how it pertains to us, so that when we sing it, we sing it not only in a spirit, with understanding the same thing that we have the understanding of what has been provided for us on our behalf that he chose us in him many moons ago it just boggles my mind and I cannot help but praise God to think that he's done that he also predestined us. Another one of those difficult terms that is so hard for us. And so when you, when you look at this, again, your mind wants to, at least mine does, wants to get into that theological debate and, and try to understand what all this is meant by predestination. But he goes on to say in verse 5 that he, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, that this is what he's done for us, he meant us to be sons of God, adopted. Here is God the Father, and here is God the Son, and now we are able to come into the divine being, to be in His family, and to be called children of God? How should we respond with thanksgiving? Brethren, I want us to, to, to note that if we have been adopted as sons, that we belong to our Father in heaven, that we should be like the divine one who gave us this relationship. We cannot live like the world. And it's so easy because we live 
in the midst of such worldliness. We got a lot of flesh, materialism right before us. It's right here, even in this building, we can see a lot of materialism right among us. It's difficult to live as a son of God, to live as a child of God, if you will. But I can guarantee you that if you have a heart of thanksgiving, this becomes a part of our life. And it's reflected in the way that we live. Because this is what he had in store for us as adopted sons. We're told in, in verses 6 and 7, if you want to read further on, he goes, I mean, verse 7, he says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And in addition to that, the forgiveness of sins. They go hand in hand, these two. We have redemption. Can you imagine the fact that every one of us, as we are here this morning, every one of us were sold into sin. I don't care if you were brought up in the church, brought up with parents that raise you as godly children. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And I'd venture to say, we might have looked good in front of each other at times when, in fact, we're far from it. I've had Christians tell me in years gone by, it's like, ah, Mitch, I wish I could have lived in, in your footsteps because you have a greater appreciation because you lived in the world before you became a Christian. And, and I was brought up, you know, with parents that taught me and, and so on and so forth. I want to ask you, has your heart ever strayed? Ever strayed from that good path? Even if outwardly it looks nice and it looks good. And I believe we were sold into the bondage of sin. Because that's what the scripture tells us. And sometimes it's just easy to kind of play the part outwardly. Easy for a lot of us. The fact that we have redemption means something happened to us. And we need it to be purchased, to be bought back, if you will. Can you not give thanks to God? For such an amazing act of redemption. Forgiveness? How easy is it to forgive? When we've done so many wrongs against our Heavenly Father. I cannot imagine what it's like to have 7 billion people on the planet. And let's just say 99% just aren't living for Him. So what, over 6 billion people living in sin? If that were to be a picture, what would that look like? If that were to be noise, what would that sound like? I cannot imagine what it's like to have that much against God and Him still to be able to forgive the way He does. And yet that's exactly what we're told in Ephesians chapter 1 and particularly when you get into chapter 2. And that's what we're told. And we should give thanks for the grace of God because that's exactly what Paul is saying to the brethren when he's writing to them of how amazing a relationship we have with our God in heaven. That's how he opens up. He goes on to say in, in verse 9, he says, Having been made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. We've been given this mystery. It's made known to us. 
One again, another term from a theological standpoint, it just is dumbfounding. Mystery? When you look at all the, the years, the centuries that went by, when the prophets would, would get forth what was going to happen in later days, and how their minds were not opened, not able to understand, even the things that they were spewing forth by divine inspiration. But there came a time in which God opened the minds of men to be able to understand. And we know that after Jesus raised from, was risen from the dead, went to his Father in heaven, and, and then we are told in Acts chapter 1 following how the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. And earlier how before he died, he, they were told that they would be guided into all truth, the apostles would. And that these apostles would go into all the world and grant unto us the ability to know this mystery. That's what we have. We have the very will of God open up to our lives. That word is dumbfounding to me on so many levels. How I am privy to this mystery. And there are those that are living among me smarter than I am who don't have this mystery. They don't understand it. It's not yet been revealed to them. Or maybe it's it, the words have been given, but not that mystery, so that they can understand. And so understanding can give thanks to God by coming into that relationship that, that He has offered to us. But brethren, you and I, we've been given this mystery. That's what Paul says. And he goes on in the third chapter talking about how if you read this letter, you will understand this mystery, which in ages past, had been hidden, but now has been revealed to us in Christ. That's what we're told in that third chapter. And we're told this allows us to understand the manifold wisdom of God. Brethren, we're privy to an amazing relationship with Him by having been given this mystery that it's been made known to us by His gift. That's an amazing thought. And then he goes on to say in verse 11 that we have obtained an inheritance. I want to tell you, how many of you know that you actually have an inheritance coming? I mean, a literal physical one. Who wants to share that kind of information, right? Well, I'll tell you right now, I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have any inheritance from a physical standpoint. I'm happy just to see my father and my mom. <laughs> and I, frankly, I don't even care about an inheritance. You know why? I have it all. And if you think well enough of the Lord and your relationship with Him, you'll give thanks because you have an eternal inheritance. Something that is far greater than, than all the money in this world. And that's priceless. How do you respond to this? How do you respond to the big opening words when you have all these spiritual blessings one by one listed out for you? We've looked at six of them already. That is provided for us all things in Christ Jesus. That's what He's given to us. He's made known such wonderful, wonderful riches. They belong to you and to me if we're found in Christ Jesus. That's what we have. How do you treat this inheritance? How do you treat it in the way that you live your life every single day? 
Do you wake up in the morning praising God, thanking Him for all the blessings that you have in Christ Jesus? Do you ever think about any of these things? Or does the first thing you do when you wake up is think about me? What I have to do. All that I have to earn. The things and the deeds of life. Do you start off your day reflecting upon all that God has given so that you have life in Him? That's something great. And when you can finish your day off going, when all is said and done, I have an eternal reward. Not something I've earned. I've got an inheritance given to me. And lastly, of course, we're told we're sealed. Again, just so many terms in this passage that you want to go back and you want to try to understand theologically. But very simply, we're told that we are sealed. We're told in Acts chapter 2, in verse 38, how those who would repent and put on Christ in baptism, they would have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit is that gift. That's our sealing, if you will, of God's promise. He is our sealing. And for whatever that means for the Spirit to dwell within us, and for all the debates that go on among us, that's exactly what Paul says when writing to the church at Rome, as well as what he says to the saints at Ephesus. We're sealed with the Spirit. Look at what he says here in, in verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In Him whom you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. All these are things that are done for us or to us. Everyone. These are gifts. That is why in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, he says in this text here, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Having believed, here's all these things that have been given to us. These are the very things that when you go on into the third and fourth chapters, we can see all the riches that have been bestowed upon us. Just like a person who goes out into war and he wins and all the bounty comes and he disperses it among those in the kingdom. That's the picture given here. All these things. But that seal of the Spirit, however limited my understanding is, is an amazing thought that I have it. And brethren... With thanksgiving, we praise God or should praise God. In the songs that we're singing this morning, the songs that you would sing maybe, I don't know, tonight when we come together, should always be with thanksgiving in mind. Should always be with all that we can express, all those blessings that we count one by one. They're so numerous. It should cause us to exalt the name of our God. It should cause us to look to the heavens every single day, throughout the day. So Thanksgiving may come once a year for us as far as this time of year. And we might even do well enough to go back to the early colonial days. The beginnings of the birthing of this nation, if you will. But how much more? Thinking back to all that God has given you since you've been found in Christ Jesus. I hope this gives you a reason to exalt His name this morning. Every morning. Every day. 